You'll take your Bibles and let's turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to read verses 12, 13, and 14. Peter is writing to believers such as yourselves, people of like precious faith, people that we'll see one day in the new heaven and the new earth. They had similar challenges that we have. And so Peter writes... In verse 12, we begin to read, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Now, the qualities that he's speaking of are in the previous verses. You can go back and read those at another time. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. If you'll turn over to chapter 3 now, and in verses 1 through 3, Peter states something very similar, reemphasizing. He said, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. This is God's word. Before we pray, you'll see a picture of one of the local congregations, Life in the Spirit, And as we pray for ourselves today, I want us to pray for them as they face the same challenges that we face, needing to remember and not forget. Let's pray. Father, both ourselves and our brothers and sisters at Life in the Spirit, we all live in an age of distraction. There are so many things that vie for our attention. And we forget, and it's not that we just forget the normal things of life, We forget the most important things. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you today to work in our hearts and in our minds. Make these wonderful truths. Make them real to our hearts again. Arouse us and stir us and send us on our way today to be people who desire to remember and not forget. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. About a month ago, my grandson and I We're out and we stopped and got a blizzard and then we went to the bank. I withdrew uh, some money that I needed, needed some cash. Withdrew $1,100. It was all in $100 bills. It was in a little envelope and uh, laid it there on the dash or the console between Trevor and I. We were talking and carrying on and we got back to the house and um, we got to, you know, pitching some ball and doing doing different things. And uh, later in the afternoon, I realized that I didn't remember where the money was at. And so I went to my desk. I thought, well, I'll surely I've laid it here. It wasn't. I went in the kitchen. It wasn't there. And so I alarmed my wife. I said, you know, I, I hate to admit this, but I've lost that money. And she said, oh, surely we can find it, you know. So we started looking. And I remembered, I remembered that when Trevor and I got out of the truck, I grabbed some, some trash that was in the car. Got our cups out and different things. I, I thought, ah, there it is. It's, it's in the garbage can. And because I just laid the stuff right on the top of the outside garbage can. I went out there, and I started rooting, and, boy, my heart started beating because I, 
I could find all the garbage, but I could not find the envelope with the money in it. And so I just went back in. I went into a real deep state of uh-oh and told Catherine. I said, I've lost this money. I've just lost it. And so I pretty well resigned the fact that it was gone. I wasn't going to find it. Later in the afternoon, sitting at my desk, and I did not hear a voice. Don't, you know, it wasn't anything like that. But this thought occurred to me. I thought, hmm, whatever you do, don't throw that garbage out. It was like a panic city. And like, because the next day was garbage day. And I was going to roll the garbage down the edge of the street and they were going to pick it up. And there's this thought came to my mind, like, don't do that. Don't do that. So I thought, I'm going to go look one more time. I, I've, I've looked through the garbage. I looked through it. Couldn't find it. So this time I took, started taking it out, laying it in the bed of my truck, just a piece at a time, laying it out. And I was getting close to the bottom. My heart was beating again. I thought, I'm not going to find this money. And at the very bottom, it was all gooey and soggy with dirt and garbage. There was that envelope. What had happened was when I put it in, somehow it had snaked its way all the way down to the bottom. And I almost took that out to the garbage and it had been gone for good. <laughs> That's how I felt, Larry. That's how I felt. Oh, I felt good. But my point is my memory's not as good as I think it is, Right? Neither is yours. But the problem is we forget things much, much more important than $1,100. In fact, I want you to see a picture, if you would. Look at this picture. It's a picture of the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. On April 22, 1993, this building was opened to the public. It took near, nearly four years to construct at a cost of $168 million dollars. Money mostly donated by the public, not by the government. And so you've got to ask yourself why. Why would people take of their wealth? You know, many of these were just average people who sent in money to, to, to construct this building. First off, why? Why do it in the first place? And then why give to see that it happens? And I think the answer is found in a headline that I read on NPR just recently, and, and it goes like this. As American awareness fades, Holocaust Museum refreshes the story. Why was $168 million donated? Why was this built in the heart of Washington, D.C.? Why is this open to the public? It's because many feel that the American awareness or American memory is fading regarding the Holocaust. Now, for some of my young friends, the Holocaust is that period in history where Nazi Germany systematically murdered approximately 6 million European Jews. And on the day of its opening, Elie Wiesel was one of the remaining survivors of the Holocaust who since died. But on that opening day, one of the things he wanted to make sure was that he reminded people. You'll see a statement on the overhead. Here's what a portion of his speech. He said, the Holocaust is not just about the 6 million. It's also about the loss of future generations. What future doctors, scientists, artists, writers, philosophers were never allowed to develop? As the Jews were killed, their progeny, our future leaders, and our human potential were also lost. Why was the Holocaust Museum open? So that we would not forget that we would remember Every year I try to read a book, at least one, at least one book every year about preaching because that is my life. And uh, if you're here and you're a Sunday school teacher or if you minister at the nursing home or if you're a person who loves to communicate the Word of God, 
I think you'll find this interesting. This book, you'll see on the overhead picture, it's, it was preaching as reminding. Preaching as reminding. Jeff Arthurs, Arthurs wants us to know that a lot of preaching is about reminding. Okay? This book helped me a lot to remind me of my task. It reminded me that I am one of the Lord's remembrancers. It's interesting. Lord's remembrancer. If you, if you are one who communicates the word of God, whether it be to children or kindergartners or, or adults, whoever it may be, if you're one who communicates the word of God to others, you are one of the Lord's remembrancers. And after reading this book, it, it just reminded me and assured me that one of the best things, this is one of the best things that I can do for you. Next Sunday, I will have been here 24 years. And if I get to live longer, stay longer, the best thing that I can do for you is to be the Lord's remembrancer. George MacDonald put it this way. He said, the best thing you can do for your fellow man next to rousing his conscience is not to give him things to think about, but to wake things up that are already in him. And that's exactly what the Apostle Peter is saying in our text today. He's saying, as long as I'm alive, the best thing that I can do for you is to stir up your memory by reminding you. That's it twice in that letter. In other words, it's the best thing. It's the best thing that I can do for you. Why is it the best thing? Well, it's because, again, you and I forget. And we don't just forget where we place the money. We forget really important things. It's the best thing because we live in a world of, of Hulu and Netflix, and then things fade. We get wrapped up in the next series or going back and watching a series that was 20 years ago. I mean, there's a channel on TV that plays old football games. You already know who won. What is wrong with you? You know? I mean, I can't understand that for the life of me. We're going to watch the championship of 1974. You know, what in the world? See, we, we, we have so many distractions. So the best thing, the best thing is that God would send remembrancers to come and to stir our memory. Because God does not deliver new truths to each generation. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. God doesn't say, well, I've got a new truth for this generation. Now, the next generation, I've got some new truth for them. No. God does not deliver new truths to each generation, but rather each generation is expected to pass on to the next generation the truth about God. We know this because Psalm 145 tells us, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We all should be the Lord's remembrancers, whether it be to a congregation or a group at the nursing home or whether it's to our children. We're all the Lord's remembrancers. Now, here's the big idea for today. I want you to see it. Making God's past present again results in a revived heart and righteous living in the present. I want you to look at that real closely because it is so true. Making God's past present again, being a remembrancer, results in a revived heart and righteous living in the present. So here's how I want to develop that big idea today, the first thing I want you to see is this. God wants his people to remember. I don't know if you are aware of this, but if you began a journey through the Bible and you knew what to look for, in other words, I told you, look for the passages that speak to 
our need to remember and not forget. I think you'd be amazed. I really do. I think you'd be amazed of how strong this theme works its way, the Old Testament into the New Testament. Let me give you just a few samples. Can't give you all of them. That's just a few. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. You shall remember, and he's speaking to God's ancient people, Israel, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Then in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. And just pause there for a moment. Think this through with me for a moment. In Deuteronomy, it says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Now, I just want to ask you, what, what are the chances that you're going to forget that? I mean, if you go back to the book of Exodus and you read how the people of Israel were treated, the harsh treatment they received, I mean, how do you forget that you were a slave in Egypt? Or, I mean, I'm, going to, I'm just going to go as far as to say, how are you going to forget the Red Sea parting? How are you going to forget that stuff? I mean, even if it's passed down to you to the next generation, the next generation, how do you forget something amazing like that? How do you forget an amazing God who saves people that are not worth saving, that don't deserve to be saved, Yet he does it out of his great mercy. How do you forget that? And you probably think, well, no way. There's no way. There's no way that you could forget something like that. Well, it appears that you can. So here's the question we've got to ask ourselves. What if the biblical act of remembering is more than just mental activity? Because I don't think for a minute that you forget the harsh treatment she received as a slave. I don't think you mentally forget that. I don't think you mentally forget if you were standing there and you saw the Red Sea open and you walked across on dry land. I don't think you're going to easily forget that. So you've got it here. You've got it here. But what is the remembering that God wants for his people? Not just mental activity, not just a loss of mental activity, but there's something else. And I found this definition, and I think this is helpful. Biblical remembrance is this. You'll see it. Remembrance is an understanding of the reality of the past in such a way that the events of the past become a force in the present, producing some activity of will or body or both. I think that's great. That's biblical remembrance. It's it's going back and and reaching, reaching into God's past and bringing it into the present so that it becomes a force now. It it happened then. You might be saying, well, good grief, that that stuff happened in the past. But it becomes such a force in the present that it creates some kind of activity in us. Let let me explain it this way. The Holocaust Museum, it's not just about the event. It's not just about six million Jews being murdered. It's about the reality of the past being remembered in such a way that the events of the past become a force in the present producing some activity. What kind of activity? The Holocaust Museum is standing there Not just because six million Jews died, not just to remind us of that reality, but to remind us that this should never happen again. And that every action must be taken that this never happens again. See, that's why the museum is there. So remembering is more than just mental activity. Biblical remembrance is calling us to action, to wake us up, to arouse us. Then we go on to the New Testament. New Testament book of Jude, we read this. Now, I want to remind you 
Although, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Now, that's pretty important to remember, right? You're, you're, you, know, you, you, you get swept up in this wonderful exodus. You get swept up in this amazing grace. And it's, it's amazing, but you just don't believe it. <laughs> you, you don't want to be part of it. And Jesus said, I just, just need to remind you, you know, that, hey, you can, you can have this, this wonderful salvation, this wonderful grace all around you and not believe and be destroyed. That's, we need to remember this. Then in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. In other words, God wants us to remember. He, he wants us to stretch back and remember we were once incredibly lost, separated, alienated. He wants us to remember that and not forget it. Even in our text, Peter is saying, I want to stir you up. What does that mean? I want to stir you up. It means to wake up. I want, in other words, what I'm writing, I want to arouse you. I want to wake you up. The act of reminding assumes that the listener already knows the content. This is what Peter said. Peter said, you already know this. So it's not a matter of not mentally knowing it. He's driving down. He's drilling down deeper. It's not just I want you to know it, but I want to wake up this slumbering knowledge. It's gone to sleep. The, 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 the flame has gone down. I want to ignite the flame. God wants his people to remember. If you're one of his today, God wants you to remember. Why does he want this? Number two, God knows we forget. God knows we forget. God knows that we are but dust, the psalmist said, and he has compassion on us. God knows we forget, and so he wants us to remember. I want you to see a picture of a, of a button. In 1992, summer it was it turned out to be the hottest day of the summer that that year my wife was in florida and i was at home and at that time you know 92 i was a little bit younger and i i, met, I used to treasure hunt I had metal detector and i'd go as often as i could to dig in the ground because there's a lot of stuff in the ground that people has lost and one piece was this civil war button uh, i was hunting in west point kentucky it was up, this button was up right up at the foundation, right up against the foundation, right underneath these huge, huge shrubs. I had to crawl under there and just take my detector and run it with one arm as far as I could reach. I heard a signal go off and I crawled under there and began to dig and I dug and I dug and I dug and I dug. And it turned out that this button was only about two inches deep. It had been lost in the year of 1862 in the summer. Now, you say, how do you know that? Well, when I found it, I cleaned it up, and I took it to one of the local historians in West Point. He said that in 1862, during the summer, a regiment from Michigan marched all the way to West Point, and they spent the night in that building. And while they were there, there was a young gentleman in the Union Army. That button came loose, and it fell in the ground. And I found it 130 years later. Cool, huh? Yeah. And so you'd think, you'd think after experience like that, you'd think that every time I look at that button, I'd grab the metal detector and I'd go hunting. You'd think, right? 
Because that button tells me, it reminds me that there's a lot of valuable stuff in the ground that hasn't been found yet. So you'd think, you'd think that I'd be hunting more regularly. Well, there's two reasons uh, I don't. I'm 62 and I can't bend over as well. And, uh, but the, most, mo- the biggest reason is I forget. I just forget. It's not that I forget that there's things under the ground. I forget to the degree that I take no action. My, my memory, my, my, my awareness, all of these things that I know slumbers. It needs to be aroused, you see. For, for example, uh, there's a lot of this in the Bible. But let me give you one example. Remember the parable that Jesus gave about the steward who had this enormous debt that he owed the king. And the king was going to put him to death. And he cried out, oh, have mercy on me. Remember, the king did such a gracious thing and forgave him this monstrous debt. And what happened was he forgot that he had been forgiven such an enormous debt. And he grabbed the throat of one of his acquaintances who owed him only a small amount and had him thrown in prison. He forgot, you see. Now, did he, did he mentally forget? No, no. But, but what this gracious thing that the king had done for him was slumbering, needed to be aroused and stirred. It's the same for the people in Psalm 106. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and the awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So listen, forgetting is not a slip of memory. In the Bible, when it speaks about us forgetting, it's not a slip of memory. It's drifting into ignoring God's goodness and eventually disobeying his will. Deuteronomy chapter 8, you'll see this. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. How do you forget God? You just begin to drift into ignoring his generosity and his goodness, and eventually you slip right on in to where you're living as if there is no God. Well, you say, well, now that's that Old Testament stuff. That's that Old Testament stuff. New Testament, new covenant, spirit-filled Christians don't live that way. If Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is speaking to a church, and he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Friends, this is a theme that runs all through the Bible. God wants his people to remember because we forget, which brings us to one thing I want to spend a moment on, and that is this, what remembering does. Now, you've already got it so far. God wants his people to remember. There's no escaping this. This, The Bible is filled with this theme, and he wants us to remember because we are prone to forget what our God has done. So, let's whet our appetite for just a few minutes. What does remembering do? What does it do? Number one, it does this. It prompts thankfulness. In Psalm 105, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. Friend, one of the One of the worst indictments upon humanity is that we do not give God the thanks he is due. You read that in Romans chapter 1. And so we're commanded in the Bible to give thanks. We are to be a thankful people. How how can can thankfulness be prompted or or, uh, ignited or stirred? By remembering. 
by remembering. If you, if you find yourself lapsing into this attitude, you're grumbling, you're complaining, you're not as thankful as you need to be, it is because you need to remember what the Lord has done. You need to remember his generosity. Do not forget his benefits. And that will result or prompt a thankful heart. Number two, remembering raises hope. In Psalm 77, now listen, listen to this very carefully. Question, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? I just stop there for a moment because for every one of us who love the Lord, it's going to feel this way at times. It's going to feel like that God is a million miles away. You're going to be facing your troubles. For example, it may be a time of serious sickness. The diagnosis has been very troubling. And you begin to pray and others begin to pray and you begin to think, where is God? Where is God? Will he ever again be favorable? I've lived in these favorable, gracious times. It's been like God's been right there. But right now, it seems like he's so far away. Will he ever be near again? Or maybe it's something as simple as you have a child in school who's being bullied. And, you know, there's nothing worse. You can have two or three children. And there's, you know, there's nothing worse. You know, you, you're only as happy as your most miserable child. And that child can be miserable as so you're going to be miserable. And so you're going to pray. And you're going to pray, and it's going to seem like sometimes, God, where are you? Why don't you fix this situation? Will you ever be favorable to me again? Or maybe you're here today, and maybe you're the spouse. You're beginning to feel this weight. You are the spouse that's going to have to take care of your spouse who's beginning to lose their faculties. And, and you, you thought, man, I thought this would be on further down the road, and here it is right there. And you, you pray, and then you think, God, have you forgot me? Are you going to be favorable to me again? But notice what the psalmist says. Let's see that verse again. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Now notice what he says next. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. Now what is he doing here? By remembering, the psalmist is drawing from the storehouse of God's work in the past, which stirs hope in God for the present. Do you see that? You need to see that. This will help you. This will help us. This is God's way. This is God's way. There are going to be times, there's going to be times you're going to wonder, God, will you ever be favorable with me again? Are you going to answer my prayer? Are you going to help me again? This the psalmist says, here's what we got to do. We got to put ourselves in a position to remember. And remembering is like reaching back in, 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 into the treasure, the storehouse of God's past and bringing it in and it will ignite or stir hope in God for the present. See how badly that's needed? Remembering, remembering will do this. It will raise our hope. Another, remembering prompts repentance. Uh, in Matthew 26, you remember the occasion where Jesus, Jesus told Peter, said, you're going you're to deny me. Peter said, no, I won't. And, and when it happened, Peter remembered. It says, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and went bitterly. That's such a neat thing. You know, Jesus said, look, you're going to blow it. You're going to blow it, Peter. No, I'm not. You're going to blow it. And when he blew it, what did he do? He remembered. He remembered. And what did remembering do? It prompted repentance. See, we cannot mourn over the sin we have forgotten. 
And so when, when God's word speaks to us and the spirit of God puts his finger right on that, that particular sin or that, that stumbling, that failing, whatever it may be, it's in order that we would repent. So remembering, remembering will do that. It will prompt repentance. Christian people must be the most repentant people in the world. Remembering also does this. It warns us of unbelief and disobedience. Luke 17, one of the shortest verses in all the Bible, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Question, why should we remember Lot's wife? Why? Because she disobeyed. It's a warning. When Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, he isn't, he isn't you know, saying, hey, go to the library and pick up a book on Lot's wife. No, he, he's saying, hey, remember, go back, take a look at that story. And she was warned and she disobeyed. See, when we are distracted or carelessly drifting, we need warnings. But that's not all. Not, not only does remembering warn us of unbelief and disobedience, it can do the positive. It can encourage belief and obedience. Remember the woman who went to Jesus' feet and she opened up, she cracked open this expensive uh, container of, of, of alabaster oil. And uh, in Mark 14 and 9, here's what Jesus said about it. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, what's that mean? See, when she encountered Jesus, it was like encountering the, the pearl of great price. This oil, sure, it's expensive, but there's no, one, there's no one I'd rather give this to than him. <laughs> See, what Jesus is saying is this. When this story is told, when, it, when it's told what she did, the extravagance the extravagant measure that she went to for her Lord, it would stir others to do the same. That, that story is recorded so that you and I would hear it and say, you know, that's how I need to be living. That, that's the kind of self-sacrificial life I need to be doing. I need to be living for Jesus in that extravagant kind of way. Be told in memory of her, to remind us. One final thing that remembering does, it fosters humility and prompts mercy. In Ephesians chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, this is addressed to the church. Now, listen to me. It's easy to get crossways with one another in God's family. Very easy. It's very easy to mentally just write them off and say, look, I'll, I'll continue to go there, but I just won't speak to them, and I won't, you know, we'll just move right along. We'll act and we'll be ships passing in the night. What does God say to that? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But I can't do that, brother. I can't do that. How, how in the world can you ever expect me to do that? As God in Christ forgave you. Remem remembering, see, re what remembering will do, it will prompt humility and mercy. So, so, so we'll, we'll treat people differently when we remember how we were treated, see? We didn't deserve, we didn't deserve the mercy that we, we were given. We didn't deserve to be forgiven. We didn't deserve the kindness that was shown. But as we draw back on that, we go back and we remember that. And we bring it into the present. It revives, stirs our heart, and, and, and creates a different kind of way that we respond to people. Not just in the church, by the way. Also outside the church. So let me try to wrap this up this way. I want you to see the big idea of, once again, making God's present again, or making God's past present again, results in a revived heart and righteous living in the past. God wants his people to remember because he knows his people forget. And we have talked about what remembrance will do. But now let me say one final thing before we go. God also wants his people to forget. God also wants his people to forget. 
And I find that in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi when he says this. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul has some things he needs to forget. If you read the entire letter, you'll find that there was a time, Paul talks about a time in his life when he was trusting in his flesh. He was trusting in his accomplishments and in his successes in life. In other words, he's saying forgetting what lies behind might be this way. Forgetting what he once built his identity upon. There was a time in my life, he said, I, I built my whole identity upon this. I was this certain kind of person. I had, I had this, I had this, and, and, and I wanted everybody to understand me in association to the things I had and the things I accomplished. It was my identity, forgetting what lies behind. Those things that I built my identity upon, leaving behind. Or it might be this, what I once put my hope in. You know, you know people who work and work and work, and you know, and it's, we should work. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But we begin to sacrifice our family. We begin to sacrifice relationships. We begin to sacrifice everything in order to work and work and work more and work more. Because down deep, we're putting our hope in accumulation of money. If I have enough, I'll be able to weather the storm. Other people may not be able to, but I'll have enough. I'll have accumulated enough. In other words, we're putting our hope, putting our hope in money. And Paul is saying here, I'm going to forget what lies behind. In other words, I'm going to forget what I used to put my hope in. Why? Because I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead and press on toward the goal for the prize of the high upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, I, I found something better. <laughs> maybe, maybe for you, you're here today, and maybe it's, uh, it's a parent who you feel didn't love you as they should, and maybe they didn't. Uh, maybe, maybe it's some regret, some disappointment in the past, and it's just got a hold of your life. It's got a hold of you in such a way that it's almost your idol. And it is choking the very life out of you. And God wants you to forget. God wants you to forget it. You say, oh, I'll never be able to wipe that from my memory. And I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not saying that you remove it from all mental activity. I'm just saying that we might get to a place where this is not going to control my life anymore. This is not what I'm going to put my hope in. This is not what am I going to build my identity in. You say, preacher, look, how in the world do you expect me to do that? How do you expect a person to forget in that kind of we can do this because God forgets and chooses not to remember. Now you say, God forgets. Hmm. In some sense, in some sense, God can't forget. He knows the beginning from the end. But I want to take his very words. God's very words in his new covenant promise. Here's what he said in Jeremiah 31 and 34. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin. Man, we ought to shout when we read that. I, 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 wish, I wish I had the ability, and I don't. So I say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, bring the weight, the glory of this promise near and dear to our hearts. God says, I will forgive. In this verse, you have God forgiving and forgetting. When I preach, if God can't forget, what is he saying? Then I will remember their sin no more. What God means is he will not act toward us on the basis of our sins. He will not, he's, he's looking at a people who forget 
who stumble, who fail. And he said, I want to make a promise to you. I will forgive your iniquities and I will no longer act towards you as your sins deserve. That is astounding. How can God do this? He can do it because God's son, Jesus Christ, bore all our sin and carried all our sins on the cross. And now God will act toward us on the basis of his love for his son. Think about that. He's, not, he's promised, I'm not going to remember your sin. I'm not going to act towards you the way your sins deserve. No, I'm going I'm I'm to act towards you on the basis of how I love my son. How does he love his son? He said, this is the, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so if you're in his son, not, not if you're just some, you know, upright, religious, moral person. You just, I'm going to be a good person and I'm just going to try to go that route. No, 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 no. Leave that behind. Paul left that behind so he could press on and put his hope and build his identity all in Jesus. And when we're in Jesus, the father looks at us and he loves us like his son and he is pleased with us as he's pleased with his son. And that's the truth. So let me ask you in a closing question. What will you do this week? It's just a challenge. What will you do this week to put yourself in a position to remember what God has done, to remember his truths, and be stirred to activity, to be aroused, to, to, to wake up from spiritual slumber? What will you do this week? See, we begin this service by confessing this morning. Lord, we, we forget. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and may that be our prayer today as we leave and this week put ourselves in a position maybe sitting down with the scriptures it may be coming regular to worship you know coming and meeting with God's people and hearing hearing the Lord's remembrancers what will you do this week put yourself in a position to be reminded and stirred to activity